So I had a request a couple of weeks ago on the YouTube channel to make a video around the different types of gin. Now, there really are as many types of gin as you can imagine. Um, some are hyper-local to specific places and, and others are more generic and, and have kind of broader themes. So it's the broader themes that I'm going to focus on um, because they're the themes that tend to kind of come up again and again. Um, I've found a couple of online sources here that listed out the, the core types of gin. I thought it was some nice synopses. So I'll put the sources uh, in the show notes. But I thought if you're a new um, visitor to this channel, um, then um, and it's the first time you've listened to this podcast, you may not be familiar with what gin are or the lore that's around them. So first thing I would suggest is go and have a listen to the very first podcast, episode one, which is Who Are the Gin? And then have a listen and kind of familiarize yourself with the topic. However, if that seems like a terrible idea and you're time short and there's no way in hell that that can be at all achieved or is in any way feasible, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. Well, at least a starting point. So jinn are not supernatural in the sense of being purely spiritual and transcendent to nature. While they are believed to be invisible, um, or often invisible, they also eat, drink, sleep, breed with the opposite sex. Um, and they have offspring that resemble their parents. Intercourse is not limited to jinn alone, but of course is possible between human and jinn. Um, uh, however, this is uh, seen as an abhorrent thing uh, in Islamic law. It is disputed whether or not such intercourse can result in offspring. How that's often defined is that a, a, a male human can have a... a, a spiritual child with a jinn and then a female human can have a a material or physical child with a a a male jinn um so anyway um they're they are natural in the classical philosophical sense of consisting of an element undergoing change and being bound by time and space they resemble spirits or demons in the sense of evading um our everyday perception but they are not of immaterial nature, uh, as ruhania or spirit beings are. Thus, they interact in a tactile manner with people and objects. In uh, early Islamic treatise, uh, scientific treatises, the jinn are included and depicted as animals with a subtle body. In the Kanun-e-Islam, written in 1832 by Sharif Jafar, uh, writing about jinn belief in India, states that their body consists, uh, constitutes rather, of 90% of spirit and 10% of flesh. They resemble humans in many regards, their subtle matter being the only main difference. But it is this very nature that enables them to change their shape, move quickly, fly, enter human bodies, causing epilepsy and illness, as the historical belief was. So hence the temptation is there for humans to make them allies by means of magical practices. Now you will find some more information about those magical practices in the Spirit Box podcast. Unlike the jinn in Islamic belief and folklore, jinn in Middle Eastern folktales are often depicted as magical creatures. And they are unlike the former, generally considered to be fictional. Whereas we know that the jinn is very much a living belief in the Islamic world. 
Now, moving on to their appearance. So, the appearance of jinn can be divided into three major categories. Those being zoomorphic manifestation, jinn in the form of storms and shadows, and anthropomorphic manifestation. Now, I'll go on to explain those. So, zoomorphic manifestation. Jinn are assumed to be able to appear in the shape of various animals, such as scorpions, cats, owls, and ongers, which is a kind of um, Arabic donkey. The dog is often related to the jinn, especially black dogs. You will see that theme come up again and again and again, that a black dog turns up whenever a jinn-type experience happens. However, um, piebald dogs are rather identified with hin, which is a separate being altogether, and I won't go into that in this uh, podcast. Associations between dogs and jinn prevail in Arabic literature, but it's lost its meaning in the Persian scriptures, where serpents are the animals most associated with the jinn. Islamic tradition knows many narrations concerning a serpent who was actually a genie. Um, one doesn't have to look any further than the the fall from the the fall from paradise for Adam and Eve are tempted by a serpent. However, except for the Hudrut in Yemeni folklore, the jinn do not appear in the, the jinn cannot appear in the form of wolves. The wolf is thought of as a natural predator of the jinn, who contrasts the jinn by his noble character and disables them to vanish. Jinn in the form of storms and shadows. The jinn are also related to the wind. They may appear in mists and sandstorms. Zubir Ibn El Al Awam who is held to have accompanied Muhammad during his lecture to the jinn, is said to view the jinn as shadowy ghosts with no individual structure. According to a narration, Ghazali asked Tabasi, famous for jinn incantations, to reveal the jinn to him. Accordingly, Tabasi showed him the jinn. Seeing them, they were like a shadow on the wall. After Ghazali requested to speak to them, Tabasi stated, for now he could see no more. He could not, that for now he could not see more. Although sandstorms are believed to be caused by the jinn, others such as Abu Yama Zakaria, Ibn Muhammad al-Qazibini and Ghazali attribute them to natural causes. Others, otherwise, sandstorms are thought to be caused by a battle between different groups of jinn. Now, before we move on to the next stage, of course, there's a couple of things going on here with the idea of storms and winds. Um, that being kind of that the Samund, the hot desert wind, is often seen as the source of the the heat that gave birth to the jinn that Allah fashioned the jinn from. They're also seen to travel through the wind, um, which is a famous mode of transport for uh, the jinns. Is jinns that control the various cardinal directions and winds that are associated with it. So there's a lot going on in there. There's also a similar thing around um, being struck by the wind in fairy lore, which is called shigiha, uh, which means a fairy wind. Very similar to, to Jin lore there. Very, very similar indeed. Now, um, in kind of modern folklore, you have the theme of the shadow people or the hat man. Uh, and again, it kind of falls into that category. A kind of um, uh, a maleficent presence at night seems to be kind of a subtle body, yet a human in shape that um, is somehow... Uh, or for some reason attracted to human beings for whatever they're they're getting out of it. Anthropomorphic manifestation. 
a common characteristic of the jinn is their lack of individuality. They may gain individuality by materialising in human forms such as Sakir and several jinn known from magical writings. But also in their anthropomorphic shape, they stay partially animal and are not funny human, fully human. Therefore, individual jinn are often depicted as monstrous and anthropomorphized creatures with human body parts from different animals or humans with animal traits. Commonly associated with jinn in human form are the shila and the, go, the ghoul. However, since they stay partly animal, their bodies are depicted as fashioned out of two or more different species. Some of them may have the hands of cats, the heads of birds, or wings that rise from their shoulders. Now you look at that kind of description and that kind of appearance, and you go right into kind of medieval European demonology, almost like for like. Very, very similar. You look at the depictions of the various demons in the Lesser Key of Solomon, and almost exactly the same type of description is it the same thing i don't know but it certainly has similar qualities so number one the korean or the karina so several opinions exist on the exact nature of the korean according to one opinion the korean is actually a shaitan one who incites a human with was was that being the whispering of demons, the whispering of devils, rather. But it can come good in accordance with the human's good deeds. For example, it is said that the the Korean of Muhammad became Muslim. However, it is uncertain whether or not a Korean besides those of Muhammad can actually be good. Another opinion holds that the Korean refers to any type of spirit accompanying humans. Here the Korean refers to both demons who cast evil suggestions, but also to angels who advise to do good deeds. Further, the Korean is depicted as the other self, an integral spirit which is part of the person. A distant between the inner Korean and the behavior may cause the same symptoms as jinn possession. The concept of Korean is very reminiscent of Greek daemons and the Christian guardian angel. So my view of this and what I've read um, on Koreans and uh, Karinas is more towards the latter, that it's more that kind of doppelganger that is in some way has a relationship that's integrally tied to that of oneself. Two, the ghoul. So the ghoul are shape-shifting cannibalistic blood-drinking creatures that feed on the flesh of human beings especially travellers, children, or corpses stolen out of graves. So not particularly nice characters. They're associated particularly with being desert-dwelling. So it was not until Antoine Galland translated 1001 Nights into French that the Western idea of ghoul was introduced into European society. Galland depicted the ghoul as a monstrous creature that dwelled in cemeteries feasting upon corpses. There are several types of ghoul. Most feared is a female type, the gula, which has the, the ability to appear as a normal mortal woman. According to lore, such a creature marries an unsuspecting man who then becomes her prey. In Persian lore, the ghoul has legs of a donkey and the horns of a goat. <clears throat> so a little bit more conspicuous. Some say that the ghoul is a desert-dwelling, shape-shifting demon that can assume the guise of an animal, especially a hyena. It lures unwary people into the desert wastes or abandoned places to slay and devour them. The creature also preys on young children, drinks blood, steals coins and eats the dead. 
then taking the form of the person most recently eaten. One of the narratives identified a ghoul named Ghoul E. Biaban, a particularly monstrous character believed to be inhabiting the wilderness of Afghanistan and Iran. Ghoul, in a way, really personifies the unknown terrors held by the desert. In that one, one will starve, one will die of thirst, and be eaten by the animals. So you can see where people got to with trying to understand what happened to people when they were stumbled on the remains. 3. Ifrit In Islamic scriptures, the term Ifrit is always followed by the expression of the jinn. Due to the ambiguous meaning of the term jinn, which is applied to a wide range of different spirits, as we've discussed previously, their relation towards the genius of jinn remains vague. However, within Islamic scriptures themselves, the term is apparently used as an epithet to describe a powerful or malicious spirit of unidentified nature. In the Quran itself, such an ifrit is mentioned in Shura An-Naml. The ifrit offers to carry the throne of Bilquis, the queen of Sheba, to Solomon. And ifrit from the jinn said, I will bring it to you before you rise from your place. And verily, I am indeed strong and trustworthy for such work. However, the duty is not given to him, but to someone who is endowed with the knowledge of scripture. An ifrit among the jinn is mentioned in the hadith of Muhammad al-Bukhari attempting to interrupt the prayers of the Muhammad, of the Prophet Muhammad. And in a narrative of Muhammad's night journey, recorded in the 8th century by Malik ibn Anis, in a latter account, the Afrit among the jinn threatens Muhammad with a fiery presence, whereupon the angel, the archangel Gabriel, taught Muhammad a dua to defeat it. And for those of you who don't know, a dua is an Islamic prayer. So in lore, the Afrit is evil, powerful and difficult to control. They are a class of infernal jinn noted for their strength and cunning. It has been described as an enormous winged creature of fire, either male or female, who lives underground and frequents rooms. Ifrits live in a society structure along ancient Arab tribal lines, complete with kings, tribes and clans. They generally marry each other, but they also marry humans. Now that description of their societal structure and behavior is very much um, a recurrent theme that's generally attributed to the jinn but you can see that the likes of the ghoul um, married a human being but only to well devour them but it's a recurrent theme again of this marriage between the human and the non-human um, and we'll see it again while ordinary weapons and forces have no power over them, they are susceptible to magic, which humans can use to kill them, capture them, or enslave them. As with the jinn, an ifrit can either be a believer or an unbeliever. Good or evil, but it is most often depicted as a wicked and ruthless being. In 1001 Nights, a tale called The Porter and the Young Girls, which is a narrative about a prince who is attacked by pirates and takes refuge with a woodcutter. The prince finds an underground chamber in the forest leading to a beautiful woman who has been kidnapped by an ifrit. The prince sleeps with the woman and both are attacked by the jealous ifrit who changes the prince into an ape. Later, a princess restores the prince and fights a pitched battle with the ifrit who changes shape into various animals, fruit and fire until being reduced to cinders. In the book, the word is used interchangeably with genie and in the tale, the spirit is malevolent and but easily tricked by the protagonist. 
In medieval Iranian literature, the word Ifrit often denotes an African. In early folklore, the Ifrit is said to be formed of the blood of a murder victim. Driving an unused nail into the blood was supposed to stop their formation. The creatures were reported to being able to take the form of Satan, the murder victim, or even a sandstorm. In Islamic folklore, the Ifrit became a class of clithonic spirits, inhabiting the layers of the seven earths. They're generally ruthless and wicked, and as we discussed before, formed out of smoke and fire. But despite their negative depictions and affiliations to the nether regions, the Ifrit are not fundamentally evil on a moral plane. They might even carry out God's purpose. Such obligations can nevertheless be ruthless, such as the obligation to blood vengeance, avenging murder, and an ifrit can be bound to a sorcerer if summoned. So, just to kind of explore the ideas of ifrit a bit more, we're going to look at um, Egypt and Morocco, um, as they have um, various different ideas about ifrit. So, firstly, Egypt. Although ifrits are not necessarily components of a person, but independent entities, a common belief in Islamic Egypt associates an ifrit with part of a human soul. This is probably influenced by the ancient Egyptian idea of ka. Uh, the ifrit are often identified with the spirits of the dead, departing the departing from the body at the moment of death. So they they are believed to live in cemeteries and wander around places of the dead. Uh, places the dead person frequently visited, or roam the earth close to the place of death until the day of judgment. A person who died a natural death does not have a male- malevolent ifrit. Only people who are killed can give rise to a dangerous and active ifrit, drawn to the blood of the victim. Driving an unused nail into the blood is supposed to stop their formation. Such ifrit might scare and even kill the living or take revenge on the murderer. It is said martyrs, saints, and prophets do not have ghosts, and therefore no ifrit. So you can see it's it's quite a different perspective on an ifrit. And there's elements of the Korean in there, um, and then saying they live in cemeteries, etc. Is starting to. I mean, that's a common thing about jinn: the idea of cemeteries or ruins as their place of abode. Now in Morocco, the the belief is 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 different. The ifrit are seen there as a more powerful type of demon compared to the jinn and other supernatural creatures. They have a more substantial existence. They are greater in scale and capacity than other demons. Their physical appearance is often portrayed as having monstrous deformities such as claw-like or thorny hands, flaming eyes, or even seven heads. Just as with jinn, an ifrit might possess an individual. Such persons gain some abilities from the ifrit, such as getting physically stronger or more brave. But the downside of that is the ifrit renders them insane. Quite the downside. With the aid of a magical ring, the ifrit might be forced to perform certain orders as a, certain orders or tasks, such as carrying heavy stones, which sounds very familiar to Solomonic uh, mythology as I'm sure you all uh, would recognize. Now, four, Jan. Jan are shapeshifters who live in the desert and take the form of whirlwinds and white camels. 
The Janjin have been more conventional in their approach towards humankind and have embraced some they seem as righteous. They are the most individualistic of the Jin, yet have almost exclusively sided with the followers of the righteous in times of danger. The Jan were among the first Jin that humans came in contact with, for they oversee the oases, as perhaps seen as the most beautiful place in the eyes of travel-hardened men. Caravans suffered or prospered at their hands, for it is said they could hide in oases from those who had previously mistreated them or shown them disrespect. Powerful Jan can still take the form of a camel, generally white, and travel slowly between the oases under their control, but occasionally they will appear in a cyclone of sand. The greatest enemies are the ghoul, who lurk in the desert to strike at unwary guests of the jinn, of the Jan, or the Jan themselves on their travels. Jan will only rarely be found in cities, though many are said to have palaces at their favourite oases. They often appear as a whirlwind of sand or as a soldier in order to conceal themselves. Throughout history, the Jan have protected armies they deem as righteous, while impeding those they deem unworthy. The entire course of history is affected when they help a side. As a result, Many events vital to Islamic history have been attributed to the Jan. 5. Marid In Arabic folklore and common mythology, a Marid is a large and powerful jinn. The word Marid is the active principle of the root M or D, whose primary meaning is recalcitrant, rebellious. Lisan al-Arab the Encyclopedic Dictionary of Classical Arabic compiled by Ibn Manzur reports only forms of this general meaning. It is found as an attribute of evil spirits in the Quran, which speaks of a safeguard against every rebellious devil, Shaitan Marid, from the same Semitic root as some of the Hebrew words Merid, rebellion, and Morid, rebel. Marids are mentioned in pre-Islamic mythology and inside the 1001 Nights alongside the jinn in the story of the fisherman and the genie. The term Marid is still used in Arabic to refer to giants. Marids are awful often described as the most powerful type of jinn. Having especially great powers, they are the most proud as well. Like every jinn, they have free will yet would be compelled to perform chores. According to folklore, they are also have the ability to grant wishes to mortals, but that usually requires battle, imprisonment, rituals, or just a great deal of flattery. flattery. Dabahamut, the giant fish of the Quran, is an example of a non-humanoid form of this particular jinn. Obviously, those of you from a Christian background will recognize that as behemoth. 6. Naznaz. A Naznaz is a monstrous creature in Arab folklore. According to Edward Lane, a Naznaz is half a human being, having half a head, half a body, one arm, one leg, with which it hops with much agility. It was believed to be the offspring of a demon called a sheik and a human being. A character in the story of the sage and the scholar is turned into a Naznaz after a magician applies coal to one of his eyes. The Naznaz is mentioned in Gustav Flaubert's The Temptation of Saint Anthony. In the Siratu en Nabi and the Kwasazi e Abinya, it is said there is a kind of animal with the form of a man they call a Maluf. They have a beautiful face, they cannot speak, and they have no power of understanding. And men seize them and go into them and beget sons of them, and the sons are dumb.
The Naznaz is built like a half-man. It has one hand, one foot. He walks by jumps and he runs with great speed. Once it was found in Yemen and sometimes in, in non-Arab countries. The Arabs hunted and ate it. An Arab legend says that one day some travellers arrived in a country where there were many Naznaz. They cornered one and killed it, roasted it. Yet it was very fat. When they sat down to eat, one traveller said, How did the Naznaz grow fat? Another Naznaz was hiding in the tree began to respond. He ate mastic which has made him fat, which made him fat. The hunters, tipped off by this explanation, seized that Nasnaz and killed him. Another then said in a tree where he was hiding, if he had the presence of mind, he would have been talking to himself instead of you. The hunters took him in turn and killed him. At that moment, a fourth Nasnaz, hidden in a hole in the ground, shouted, I am cleverer, I will say nothing. He was immediately seized and put to death like the others. Travellers were thus provided with food. They say the Nasnaz feeds on fruits and plants, and they were able to withstand thirst. In the country of Mizir, there's a kind of ape much resembling a man they call Naznaz. In body, it is like a large ape, but the whole of their body is hairy, and they have tails. And in this, and the species Maluf, described above, contrary to the species of ape, lives in eastern countries and has no tail, and the hair in their bodies is as a man. And they have a beautiful countenance. And in Farisi, this is known as a Naznaz. In the Hadith, it says that a tribe of Aid rebelled against the Prophet. So Allah turned them into Naznaz, each one of them who had a hand and a foot on one side of the body and who hopped like birds and grazed like beasts. It is also said those have become extinct and what currently exists in that form are separate species, or that there are three kinds of Naz, Naz, Naznaz, Nazinis, or that the Nazinis are the females, or that they are a higher form than the Naznaz, or that they are Yaju or Maju, or that they are a group of humans or creatures that are in the shape of people but differ from them in certain things and are not them. The Naznaz described as resembling half a human being, having half a head, half a body, one arm, one leg, with which it hops with much agility as being found in the woods of Al-Yemen, and that one was brought alive to Al-Mutawakilki. It resembled a man in form, except that it had but half a face, which was in its breast, and a tail like that of a sheep. The people of Hedramot, it is added, ate it, and its flesh was sweet. It is, only, it is only generated in their country. A man who went there and asserted that he saw a captured Naznaz, which cried out for mercy, conjuring him by God and by himself. A race of people whose head is in the breast is described in, as inhabiting an island called Jeba, supposed to be Java, in the Sea of Al-Hind or India. A kind of Naznaz is also described in as inhabiting the island of Raj in the Sea of Asin or China and having wings like those of a bat. That description of having the head in the breast is quite interesting. As the mythology and cartography around the North Pole, um, as it was seen um, several hundred years ago, around the late 1700s, viewed it as being four islands circling around Rupus Nigra, which the... F Phantom Island. It was believed to be a 33-mile-wide black rock, which was um, the source of the magnetic North Pole. Uh, this mountain in Islamic lore is described as Mankwaf. And the four islands that circulate made up the land of Hyperborea. And on one of those islands was a being called Oblemi, which also had uh, its face in its breast. And there was a one-legged species as well. This, this idea of one-legged species turns up again and again, particularly in the early kind of age of, of exploration, uh, where 
the kind of that here be monsters section of maps was often populated with fanciful creatures, but including things like dog-headed men, faces in chests, and beings with one leg. Seven, palace. The palace is a vampiric footlicker that lives in the desert. It has low intelligence and can be easily outwitted, according to lore. It attacks sleeping people and drains their blood by licking the soles of of their feet. It can be fooled by two people sleeping end-to-end with the soles of their feet together under each other's head. I don't know how you'd manage to sleep like that. 8. Sheik The Sheik is a lower form of jinn, a half-creature, or literally only half-formed and thus monstrous in appearance. Muhammad al-Qazwini included Kabanda, the creature from the South South Asian epic, Ramayana as a Sheikh Jinn. They mate with humans and the offspring is Anasnas, the hybrid creature we described earlier, with half a head, one hand and a single leg. But apparently tastes delicious. 9. Silat The Silat is a centaur-like Jinn. It is an expert shapeshifter, a pair able to mimic a human's appearance with ease and is said to be the smartest of the Jinn. They most often appear as beautiful women. They tend to live in forests and desert oases, but they are much more open-minded about humans than the other types of jinn and can easily integrate themselves into human society. They prefer to talk their way out of trouble than to use force. They are not usually malicious, but have been known to hide oases from travellers they don't like. They can also be meddlesome, and their attempts to help humans with their problems often make them worse. They are mentioned in the Quran and other Islamic texts and inhabit an unseen world in dimensions beyond the visible universe of humans. Together, the jinn, humans, and angel makes up the three sapient creatures of God. The Quran mentions that the jinn are made of smokeless and scorching fire, but also physical in nature and being able to interact physically with people and objects, and likewise be acted upon. It is proposed that possible explanations for the silat where the description of Mongol warriors riding their horses at an expert level, making them look inhuman. Now, another definition of this creature is the word translates as hag, or treacherous spirits of invariable form. And it's a supernatural, it's the same creature, but it's a different description. It is a supernatural creature assigned to the jinn or ghouls of Arabian folklore. These spirits are classified to be one of the most malicious classes of jinn. So, totally different uh, characteristics here. They're described as talented shapeshifters, often appearing in human form and as a female. And despite their impressive shapeshifting abilities, they can be discovered because of their hybrid appearances of animals. So, we're, we're getting to the same kind of characteristics here. Accordingly, the Siat are said to believe, to live in the most desolate parts of the desert, where they lead travellers and nomads astray, leading them to their deaths. They are also said to seduce and marry men and give birth to a child from the relationship between a human and the jinn. This theme turns up again and again and again. This idea of hybrid children is really, to this day, it still occurs. In pre-Islamic Arabic countries, it, there is said to be one man who fell in love with a Siat and had children who are known as Banu Siat. It is rumoured that the Arab population was conceived from the descendants of Amir Abin Yamu's children who were half Siat. Their mother was said to have left the family behind after seeing lightning in the sky, interpreting it as a sign to return to her clan. According to Iraqi historian Mahmoud Shuriki al-Olusi, Arabs refer to Siats to women who are said to be slim, witty, witty, 
powerful and accused of being unloyal seductresses. So a pretty misogynistic view of um, intelligent, powerful women. I think it's it's particularly distasteful when you read that kind of thing where positive traits um, in a woman who is independent um, and as her own person is described as as being a, a gin. Exactly the same thing used to happen in, in Celtic countries. Um, the case of Bridget Cleary springs to mind, uh, which I've mentioned in another video. Um, that's just sad. Pretty pathetic, really, to be honest. Ten. Parian. The Parian, or fairies, are jinn of great beauty who guide humans on their way to the land of the blessed. Now, I couldn't find much more information about them, so I'll have to come back to that at a later date. 11. Div. A div, or dev, is also known as a diva, or a diva is an evil spirit, a genie of war. These beings serve the underworld spirit, Angara Manu, and are listed as Amesha, Akam, Manan, Indra, Naon, Hayata, and Sora. The Div live in the mountains of Quaff with the Peris. The mountain range, composed of green crystallite, reflects the greenish tint to the sky. Quaff was believed to surround the circular and fat earth like a gigantic fence some 2,000 miles high, outside of which flows the ocean. The malignant Div and Peris wage constant war against each other. When Perrys are taken prisoner, they are locked up in an iron cage and hung from the top of the tallest trees. Not only are the Perrys in pain from constantly touching the iron bars of the cage, but they are also exposed to a persistent chilling wind. The Div deny the Perrys their only food they can consume, the fragrance of perfume, as the Div find it to be a natural repellent. 12. Shaitan In Islam, the devil is known as Iblis, or Shaitan. In Islam, Iblis is a jinn who refused to bow to Adam. The primary characteristic of the devil, beside Hubris, is that he has no power other than to cast evil suggestions into the chests of men, women, and jinn. Although the Quran does mention appointing jinn to assist those who are far from God in a general context, we made the evil ones friends only to those without faith. The shaitan is a rebellious, malevolent genie, and is primarily associated with demonic forces. Some people see this as a separate type of creature to a jinn, in that it is entirely evil. And they are seen of being manufactured of the fires of hell itself, a separate being to the jinn. They are assumed to visit filthy and desacralized places, they tempt humans into sin, and to everything that is disproved by society, by their whispering, by waswas, it is commonly believed that saying bismillah and reciting a certain dua, like Azubila Minesh Shaitanir Rajim, or the Suras Anas, or Al Falk, should ward off attacks of the Shaitan, although it is impossible to gather all depictions. Uh, in and local traditions on depictions and understandings of the shaitan, these characteristics tend to appear f- frequently. It is it's noted that when they talk about putting when it's desc- when it's described as putting evil suggestions into the chests of men, these things are often symbolised as eggs that are planted on the heart, which then grow into shaitan and become the 
recurrent patterns of negative behavior that the individual then experiences. Number 13, Vitala. So the Vitala is a vampire type gin and is genuinely terrifying in its description. They're supposed to have the power to possess corpses and prevent them from decaying. This allows them to move freely in the human world and be absolutely undetectable. The Vitala are extremely intelligent and taught to be natural psychics. And they are often said to have the ability to read thoughts and tell a person's future. So that's the end of the list. I'm going to add one other uh, reference um, that I've found. And this is the, the term core. Um, and it's a, it's a Turkic term. And it describes a type of spiritual creature. And these are mentioned in pre-Islamic texts and in the oral tradition um, of, of the area. That it's the term, or a variant of the term, turns up in Slavic lore as well. But I want to read you the description of it. So, cores are spiritual creatures who inhabit an unseen world in dimensions beyond the visible universe of humans. Folk narratives mentions the cores are made of fire, but also physical in nature, and being able to interact with people and objects likewise be acted upon. Like human beings, the core can be good or evil, or neutrally benevolent to just like humans. They are taught to be responsible for several mental disorders. These entities are brought are taught to inhabit desolate places such as abandoned houses and ruins. They fear iron. And within Islamic tradition, they are taught to disappear after reciting a basmala. Despite being generally feared, they are not necessarily evil in nature. They are also linked to the term Russian, the Russian term court, referring to evil forces like demons or the devil. So I think it's pretty obvious that's a like-for-like -like description of jinn including what they are composed of, their nature, and what they fear, and how to repel them if, need, if needed to. So, again, interestingly enough, we now have huge ge geographical regions with the same references. So, what's the cause of the overlap? Um, I don't know, but I think it's a really, really interesting question. And if it's a question you'd like to discuss, by all means pop over to my Patreon and Discord server and uh, tell your story, tell your experiences and uh, give me your thoughts. Okay, that's it for the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Our next show, um, hopefully at the time I'm recording this, I'll be confirming up the interview, but hopefully our next show is going to be really, really special um, with a, a, a person who has direct experience of working with the gin. So if you, uh, if you aren't subscribed, make sure you are because that's not one you want to miss. That's it for me. Take care and talk soon.